Hey there, welcome to Better Talks, the podcast, in which we talk to friends from the development community. I am Reg. And I am Oscar. So, Oscar, how are you? I'm good, but uh, better. Uh, how are you? Because you're <laughs> in the middle of something, right? Yeah, we moved house and now we are in the middle of remodeling it. So we even had to take the entire roof off. Yeah, I saw pictures of uh, an enormous mess there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, your your joke about the garbage collector was actually pretty fun. Uh, but we're trying to, or we're starting to build up again. So we're done with all the demolishing and now we're... Uh, building up again so it's starting to look like a house again yeah so everything is going according to schedule right <laughs> yeah the schedule where you don't know what's happening but um yeah it's it's kind of hard trying to juggle all the uh, new stuff coming out and of course build and then uh, the summit will be soon but also doing stuff in the house but we can do that we can manage that for a couple of months probably proper multitasking you are again <laughs> uh oscar who's our friend of today Our friend of the day is Jimmy Engstrom. Jimmy Engstrom has been developing since he was seven years old and got his first computer. He loves to be on the cutting edge of technology, trying new things. When he got Winds of Blazor, he immediately realized the potential and adopted it already when it was in beta. He has been running Blazor in production since it was launched by Microsoft. His passion for the .NET industry and community has taken him around the world speaking about development. Microsoft has recognized his passion by awarding him the Microsoft Most Valuable Professional Award eight years in a row. Welcome, Jimmy. Welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's a little bit warm here, but uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm, I'm great. Uh, let's not complain about some warmth, because finally <laughs> we had a good week here. Yeah, yeah. it's been horrible. Um, Jimmy, let, let's just dive right in. I mean, it's pretty obvious if uh, anybody looks you up that you're kind of into Blazor. Mm -hmm. um, could you maybe explain why you think Blazor is such a big thing? Sure. So for me, I'm, I've been working with web technology for, well, 20 years or so. And at some point, the world started moving from server-side things. I'm talking about... Uh, Well, ASP in the beginning, then ASP.NET, we got M MVC, we had all of those technology web forms. And suddenly the world started to do everything in JavaScript. And I am not a fan of JavaScript. So for me to develop interactive webs was suddenly a problem. It was, I had to learn a new language, I had to to learn uh, new um, tooling, NPM, Bower, all of those things. And then came Blazor. That kind of solved everything I hate with web development. I don't have to do everything with JavaScript. I just have to use Visual Studio, and I'm basically good to go. It's, it's not entirely true, but in a sense, it, it is as well. And, and when you uh, first got uh, Winds of Blazor, um, there was the, um, yeah, the, the, the WebAssembly version demo, I guess, that everyone saw. Yeah, yeah from, from the beginning, yes. Uh, so to, to take it back and talk about where it comes from is um, Steve Sanderson had a demo at NDC back mm -hmm. in 2017. I hadn't seen that particular demo at that point. I believe it was... Uh, huh. I don't remember what conference. It was another conference I saw where they demoed um, Blazor for the first time. The first time I saw it. 
But um, what happened was that Steve um, had a WebAssembly talk at NDC Oslo in uh, in 2017, and he thought that, hmm, would it be possible to show a really cool demo? Would it be possible to run C Sharp inside of the web browser using WebAssembly? So he takes the stage, he demos WebAssembly.net code running on top of WebAssembly with full Visual Studio support. He had, well, everything really worked. He even had the name Blazor in the demos. And in the audience, there were um, a couple of ASP.NET team members and they just, their jaws just dropped. He demoed what? So they took all of this back to the office, discussed this, and Blazor was born. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And I, I, I think the uh, at that point, the first things I saw of it, um, I felt like, well, this is a demo. Like to actually make a product out of this that everyone mm. can use, there's a big gap there uh, normally. But it's actually amazing how fast that went. Yeah, so, so the first version was... Uh, released in 2019 in September, I believe. And that was Blazor server. So that doesn't have anything to do with WebAssembly. That was a SignalR solution. So what happens is that we are, we are using the server to render HTML. That HTML is going into Blazor. Blazor is going to create a render tree, which you can compare to... Uh, I believe it's called Shadow DOM in React and Angular or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And push that over SignalR to the client, which has a little piece of JavaScript that, again, we don't have to write. And the JavaScript is going to take that change and then update the DOM. So that was the first version. And that's the version we are running in production because there were no other solutions mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, that, that was a bit strange to me the first time. It's like after the the whole demo, that was still, yeah, tattooed in my brain. Um, that the the first version was actually this uh, completely different model, but in the end, it was the programming model is exactly the same or or mm. almost the same. Um, and indeed, you mentioned the shadow DOM. Uh, that is what will happen in the browser as well. It need to update deltas, and they just yeah. pull that to server side. Um, that was amazing to see. But you're running that uh, in in actual projects in production, I guess? Yeah. So we have a um, CRM system that Mm -hmm. uh, is... It's not fair to call it a CRM system because it does so much more. But our internal system, uh, I would say, the the internal system. Mm -hmm. So it it has connections to everything, basically. And... um, so that we were running, that was the first project we did in Blazor server. And then uh, it, a couple of months came by and we started to work on a customer portal as, as well. So that is rewritten in Blazor as well. So if you now look at where Blazor is at this point, and then especially looking at Blazor WebAssembly, since what you said about single page applications, that's something that's uh, completely recognizable. I mean, we worked uh, ASP.NET, MVC, or pages like uh, years, and then all of a sudden everything went uh, into single-page applications. Mm. But now with Blazor WebAssembly, uh, what would you say to people who say, well, this is a technique that isn't matured uh, yet, that isn't um, uh, prove, proven enough yet to be 
used in production? What would your response be to a um, some, somebody saying something like that? Well, first of all, if, if we take uh, a step back, the technology behind it, as, as you mentioned, is uh, it's racer pages and racer components. These technologies has been proven. The people have been using these for years. And then when we have the WebAssembly part of things, WebAssembly is a, is a uh, W3C standard. I always... Uh, <laughs> my, my, my tongue isn't always cooperating when I try to say that. <laughs> W3C standard. Uh, yes. So every browser has support for it, so it's definitely supported. Uh, I often get questions about, so about what about Flash? What about Silverlight? Is this a new Silverlight? And it's building on technology that that everyone is is um, is using. The, it's already implemented. Every browser has support for this. Yeah, that, that's it, the big difference, right? Because like Silverlight and Flash, uh, they they were plugin based, and mm-hmm. they had their their own sandbox to work in, which wasn't that great, especially for Flash. Um, <clears throat> so the difference here, of course, is that. The, the browser, the DOM and everything running in there, um, WebAssembly is a part of that. And, and there's no one uh, um, also launching a new iPad, canceling that technology now anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope they won't. <laughs> that, that, that's at least what I'm hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one of the questions I get a lot because I've proposed to use Blazor for several of our customers uh, the last couple of weeks or maybe months. Uh, one of the questions that I get is, um, am I not going to invest into a uh, technology that will, in the end, fade away or maybe even just get canceled? But as far as I'm concerned, and I'm not really sure how you look at this, but my guess is that Microsoft is going all in on Blazor. That's the feeling I get as well. But... If, if we take one step back again, I mean, uh, we all invested in jQuery. That's a technology that is <laughs> outdated. Uh, the first version of Angular wasn't even compatible with the next version of Angular. The next so, 15 I mean, versions. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm doing so, I mean, it, of course, we are investing in a technology that is it's at some point going away. Uh, the web probably won't live forever. But... Microsoft is investing highly in this technology. If we're looking at third-party vendors like Telerik, uh, uh, DevExpress, Syncfusion, mm-hmm. if, if there is one, they have an investment in in Blazor, basically. Yeah, uh, so I don't do think those that this- companies are really invest in them because a lot of those component libraries. I see uh, jumping all kinds of technology. They're mostly built in JavaScript and have an interaction model. Mm. Uh, so uh, I, from what I can see, the most of the companies like uh, Progress Telerik, for example, and mm-hmm. I think DevExpress as well, uh, probably m- most of the companies has, it, they're not building upon their JavaScript libraries. They have JavaScript libraries, mm-hmm. but they're not building on top of them. They They build this native blazer if you will uh, there is javascript involved still because all of the things you want to do you can't do with blazer only mm-hmm. so i uh, it's looking at at um, 
at most of them, they, they really do invest highly in Blazor. Okay. They're, they're not forgetting the JavaScript libraries either. So I had a, a guy, uh, he friended me on Facebook and he said, um, uh, so um, are you working on Blazor? And I went, yeah, yeah, yes, I am. Yeah, that is never going to be a thing. Wait, so I what? said, what, what, <laughs> why? Why? First of all, why are you friending me to tell me that? But okay. <laughs> Not being I, a friend. I, <laughs> what you do doesn't work. <laughs> what? I, I, I'll have that discussion. Okay. Why, why, don't, you, why don't you think it's going to be a thing? Yeah, it's never going to beat uh, Angular or React. I'm an Angular developer, and that's way better. And I don't think that's the point. The point is that for us as C-sharp developers that don't... I mean, I mean, it, the argument has also been like, yeah, Blazor are for those who uh, don't want to learn JavaScript, who are afraid of new technology or something like that. You know, you know the, the internet talk. And I don't think that's the case either. It's a way for us to be more productive. We don't have to switch languages. We don't have to to transpile if we're using TypeScript or anything like that. We're using less tools. We're, we're getting more performance. We're getting more help from the tools that we are used to. Well, I think that's actually something very interesting that you said there because what we see a lot now in our current projects is that we always need an expert in the front-end technology that we've chosen for our project, be it mm. Vue, React, Angular, or any other front-end framework. And those are kind of hard to find out there. And then now if we start moving into Blazor, probably most of the people who have been working with HPNet in the past 10 years, anywhere in the past 10 years, will most probably be able to pick up on Blazor and be productive using Blazor, right? Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that very well said. There's no technology, there's no other technology involved in Blazor that is not just there. We are still building our components with, with Razor pages and Razor components. We're not involving anything else. We're still using C sharp. We are using dependency injection just as before. It's all about where this is running and, and the little piece of JavaScript that we don't even have to touch. We don't have to read it. This just works. This is, I think, the, the second or third time that components and component libraries came up. I have to I have to quote somebody. I promised myself I wouldn't build another component library, but for different reasons, I had to build a grid component. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a feeling where this is that? coming from. Who was that? <laughs> <laughs> You're staring so at Jimmy's GitHub page, right? Um, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what happened was that uh, we were very early uh, adopters, as we mentioned, and um, there were grid components out there, but it, it, they didn't do they didn't do exactly what we wanted. We could use them, but. Let's say we have a, um, a grid component and we want to um, format the value. So we just want to show, um, let's say, money or, or a currency. Mm -hmm. And we want to show that in the correct way. For We, we are 
our customers are Swedish, so we're using Swedish numbering. Okay, so we want to just, we want two decimals, we want a comma sign. That, that should be easy, right? Yeah. But with most of these component libraries, we, we have to do a template. We have to create a template for that particular thing. And since we had a lot of grids in our system, that became kind of, it, it was a lot of work putting in all these kind of templates for everything. So I decided that I, wa- I wanted to invest a little bit of time to just see how complicated is it to build our own grid. So I put in a couple of hours uh, on my spare time. Uh, I took it back to the office and they just loved it. So now I'm working a little bit from home and a little bit from the office, taking time from from both of us, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just built we built our own grid component. So for example, to solve this problem with, with the, the formatting, we have a format property. So we can just send in the normal format uh, N2 or whatever we want from the, from the syntax we are used to, and it just works. Nice. So you said I took a couple of hours. Now, that could either mean that you are blazingly fast at writing code <laughs> or that it's relatively uh, doable to create uh, components for a blazer. It, it's probably a combination of both, right? I, I would argue that. <laughs> or he's one of those 10 times developer. Uh, <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I, I, I would say a little bit of both, maybe. But uh, mostly, I, I think I lied when I said a couple of hours. <laughs> a couple of nights. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the first word, the, the really cool thing with Blazor is that everything is component-based. So if you have a... a page if you now I'm now I'm using air quotes okay uh, if you you have a page you, you have a URL that you want to be able to reach it's a component that you re, you're reaching with that URL if you want to reach if you want to use that component in another component you can do that so basically what this grid is it's a grid component and then it's going to render um, headers, for example. So that's header components. And then we have row components and so on. So it's really a mishmash of different components rendered in the uh, grid component. It's very easy to get started. It's easy to uh, to implement small features into a component and then use that component in your library or, or in your grid in this case. So from a developer point of view, everything should be components. You should use components everywhere. True, true. And and you um, because you you know you said you brought it back to the office this grid component you made, but you open sourced it, right? It's on uh, it's shared. Yeah. So we discussed this back and forth, and and we thought that why, why not just open source this? This is a great example of of how to make a fairly complicated thing. Mm-hmm. And see how how uh, you can you can build that. And I'm using it in my presentations and stuff like that as well. So why not just open source it? Yeah, of course. Uh, but this uh, it, it was really born out of a, a necessity in a project. Um, 
and this is yeah, this is one of the things I'm I'm trying to push always is that um, even though it's a project or a client project, um, like you're using so much open source, like even spending some time in evolving this or, or contributing on it, doesn't mean you you shouldn't give it away because that's not the thing you're building. That's not your core business. Mm. So I think it it's pretty healthy to um, to also uh, yeah use that time to to pay a bit back. Yeah. And what we did was, um, so the name, the name of the library is Blossom, so B-L-A-Z-M, and um, it, it's it's a play on words. It's the first part is from Blazor, mm-hmm. and the second part is from Awesome Dev, which is a company that my wife and I are running. And it's also a little bit of a pun because it will make your applications blossom. Wow. <laughs> I, I know. I, I really like puns. <laughs> yeah, but this is actually a product name that I can uh, uh, understand the explanation. <laughs> That's actually pretty nice. <laughs> uh, we we also did a, a couple of other projects. Uh, actually, one other project. It's called Blossom Bluetooth. So I'm 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 a gadget freak. I love gadgets. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, uh, I got a Bluetooth um, controlled car. Uh, just a RC car. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I, I can understand the confusion there. Yeah, but I was imagining what would happen if you're inside the car and you lost Bluetooth connection. But. Yeah, because I'm already amazed if my phone <laughs> continues working. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, so, so I, I, I got that for Christmas and uh, I, I found that reverse engineering Bluetooth protocol was so much fun. So I wanted to bring that to Blazor as well. So that's a library where you can talk web Bluetooth from Blazor. Wow. Okay, cool. And the really cool thing here is that since this technology, the, the code is basically the same on, on if you're running on Blazor server or if you're running on Blazor WebAssembly. So this project actually works on both. So you can talk to Bluetooth devices on from the server. That's pretty cool. It is. Yeah, I, I see all kind of potential security issues. But <laughs> <laughs> so Web, Web Bluetooth has uh, a built-in uh, security, if you will. So you have to specifically say mm-hmm. yes, I allow to use this device. I, I we can't we can't just control a arbitrary device. You have the user has to say yes, this this is okay. Okay, but but you now have a, a remote control uh, controlled car driving around in an Azure uh, data center <laughs> because <laughs> of this. Well, I could, I could. <laughs> I I was just looking at your ZX Spectrum page, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we tried to do a little bit of background, but. I see that your first lines of code were actually um, probably something that most of us <laughs> did, like mm-hmm. ten print Jimmy and then twenty go to ten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that. But that's awesome, right? But then, what's the ZX Spectrum page about? So, when I was seven years old, my uh, my brother came uh, came home with a box, and in that box was the ZX Spectrum. My my first computer. I have played around with my brother's computer, but um, this was my own. That it was a very special uh, moment. And I usually say that 
life is filled with defining moments, moments of realization. And I still remember this moment. And I remember that when I sat that down, I booted it up. And the first thing I did was, as you said, 10 print Jimmy, 20 go to 10. That was the moment when I realized and decided that I wanted to become a developer. This is what I want to do. I want to control the computer. I want to do things with with the computers. And I mean, back then, this wasn't a hot computer. or It, it was a hot computer at the time. But I mean, it's, it's not a, a, it's not like now, right? So what I did was, when I became a developer, I wanted to see if it was possible for me to create a ZX Spectrum emulator. So I bought a book uh, with, filled with Z80, which is the processor instructions. Page one, implemented that instruction. Page two, implemented that instruction and went through the whole book. It took a couple of years, so not, ef- not efficient time, of course. I, I was doing other stuff as well. But it took a couple of years before I got the first startup screen working. And from that moment, this has become my hello world, the technology that I try everything new with. So I have, um, there, there was a Kickstarter a couple of years ago called the Agent Watch, which actually never came out, but they had an emulator so you could build, uh, build um, things for it. So mm-hmm. it was this, um, what microframe, .NET microframework. It was running .NET microframework. So I built a version of the emulator for that. I had a gadgeteer, which is a um, motherboard where you can connect things mm-hmm. and a screen amongst those. So I had an emulator running for that. I had the emulator running for um, HoloLens and now for Blazer. Okay, most people these days do a to-do list as their hello world. You <laughs> completely pull over an, an uh, uh, emulator there. Wow. But the really cool thing is every time I do implement it in a new technology, I find ways to optimize it. Oh, I can, I can avoid garbage collection by doing this or that. And looking at the Z80 processor, it has 68,000 T states, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, every instructions take different amounts of T states. So if we simplify it a little bit, it, it, can, it needs to do about 10,000 instructions per frame. And that was running on a TV. So that's 50 frames per second. So that's 10,000 instructions 50 times per second. That's pretty fast. Uh, yes. <laughs> so actually emulating this, I, I did a, um, a version for uh, Windows 8 RT. And I had to go uh, over to C++ to get the performance. C Sharp wasn't performant enough for that. No, on that machine. No, I can imagine. This is a crazy amount of effort. Yeah. Hey, Rick. Yes? Do you know what time it is? Is it time for a totally random question? It's time for a totally random question. Jimmy, from yep. what movie should they have made a sequel? 
Wow, from what movie? Ha. And, and don't so say was... The Matrix because... The, the... <laughs> <laughs> so what movie did I like? So, so we're talking about a movie that probably doesn't have a sequel. Yeah, or maybe uh, depend on where they are at this point. I mean, oh, we good. could do Fast and Furious 11 if we want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's keeping up with the Angular versions, right? <laughs> yeah, but any movie that you that you like very much or where you think that there's still so much room for the story to go either way. So I have one of... I've seen a couple of, of um, people talk about this on the internet. And... I didn't think I would agree, but I would say I would love to actually see a reboot of Back to the Future. But it needs to be Tom Holland playing Marty McFly. Oh, that would make sense, yeah. It would, actually. I would love that. And I mean, Back to the Future, you can't make those movies better. They're absolutely perfect as they are. That's why I didn't think I would actually even consider making another one. But then someone mentioned Tom Holland, and I love Tom Holland. And I would think that that would make total sense. Yeah, I, I you know, pushed my kids into watching Back to the Future because <laughs> it was amazing when I was like, whatever, eight or something. But um, it's it's still different. And then you need to explain the 80s, step one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's so weird because they, the, uh, of course, in what is that? In two, they, they are somewhere in two thousand. I don't know, even fifteen. Yeah, two thousand um, eighteen. I don't know, but yeah, that is already the past. <laughs> so yeah. you can only, um, I don't know, refresh this to uh, to do a remake, indeed. But will it? Two thousand fifteen, I believe. Fifteen, it was. Okay. Yeah, but will it ever be that good? I don't know. Well, that uh, that's actually something that you said, uh, Oscar. I mean, there's there's these series from my childhood that I absolutely loved. You and don't if, you don't watch them now. If I show don't them to it. my kids now, <laughs> they'll just look at me like, "You okay, Dad?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. You make a like a night ride or a team joke at the dinner table, and everyone's just staring at you. <laughs> there he goes again. <laughs> So we, we just got our first car. It's a Polestar 2. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so we need to have those kit lights in the front. Yes. And my wife goes, that would not be legal. The lights in the front needs to be white or yellow. And I'm like, but Knight Rider. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then implement something on your um, watch probably that you can talk to it, right? Of course. Yeah, that's some of those things are actually pretty normal now, right? Just talking <laughs> yeah. to your watch. Yeah, that's what, what happens. Yeah, uh, Jimmy, one other thing that you do together with, uh, with Jessica is um, you're decoding after work, uh, both the podcast and I think you also do some stuff on Twitch. Could you yes. maybe explain a bit about how that, how that started and where you are right now? Sure. So it actually started as a user group. Uh, Jessica and I was helping out a, um, a friend at Microsoft who was doing, this was back in when, I, I believe it was Windows Phone 7, that kind of era. Oh, we love Windows Phone. Yeah, I know, seven, right? Talking about Silverlight, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he arranged that you could come to Microsoft Office in Sweden and uh, just code and get help. So we started out helping out there and 
Then uh, we wanted to expand a little bit, so we started coding off to work uh, user group. And the idea was that we wanted a space where developers could come and work on their problems and get help if they needed. So we, we expanded from, we had Unity developers, uh, PHP, everyone was welcome and everyone helped out. So that, that's that's the way it started. And we wanted to have that space for for those people that are working at the nine to five job that maybe doesn't have these R&Ds evenings like most consultant businesses has. So that's that's how that started. Then we want then Jessica and I are both speakers and and uh, Microsoft uh, MVPs. So we travel the world, or we used to at least <laughs> uh, travel the world and speak at different conferences. And we met so many interesting people. So we thought that maybe we could just start a podcast and see where this goes. See see. Can we meet uh, all these people? Could could we take an hour of their time to to record something interesting? And we wanted to have a little bit of a different approach. We are trying to have some kind of technology subject and also get it a little bit private to see what are you doing on your spare time? What uh, If you're uh, not coding, what do you do and stuff like that? And then the pandemic hit. So we couldn't do user groups anymore. And we thought we saw that Twitch was the science and technology uh, category on Twitch was growing like crazy. Yeah, it is exploding. So I went to Jessica and I said, you know what? We need to paint our room green. <laughs> did you explain why or did you just say yeah. we need to paint the room green? I start with that. Like, leave the introduction. <laughs> well, well Fine. She, she is in technology, so that's, she understood what, where I was going with all of that. <laughs> that helps. And she's so just nice went, to have a partner like that, right? <laughs> we need to paint the room she, green. Oh, of course. I know what you mean. <laughs> and she went like, yeah, we need you. That sounds reasonable. So we bought a, a can of, of uh, paint, the most horrific green paint you can ever think of, <laughs> and we painted a whole wall green. And that was the start of our Twitch journey. <laughs> so we actually have we have two shows on Twitch. We have Coding After Work, mm-hmm. where we uh, invite guests to talk about their technology and they can demo things. We had just yesterday a um, uh, we talked about Maui dot uh, Maui, and uh, we we also do um, right now we're doing a um, Blazer from scratch. So we are rebuilding our coding of the work site in Blazor from okay. scratch. Nice. So we are we're doing everything. I mean, we we we're using Azure DevOps. We are doing all the planning on stream, re, uh, sprint refinement, and all of that. Okay, so you're doing the entire uh, development journey, and then all on Twitch. Yeah. Nice. Full we thought open. that cool. Yeah, we thought that, that that might be interesting to people that haven't worked with uh, Blazor before. And we're doing it Blazor Server because I really like Blazor Server. But we're doing it in, in a way that we will be able to reuse that code 
to do it with Blazor um, WebAssembly as well. So we're doing we we will be able to when when the show show is over, we will be able to compare the two. That's the plan, at least. Cool. cool. It's also interesting to like not even only for that technology part, but maybe beginning developers or, or uh, students even to see mm. the whole process and, and, and just out loud. Yeah. I think that would be uh, uh, great for them to uh, to uh, start up. But Jimmy, I, w- I wanted to ask a, a question because like we were talking about Blazor. Um, I saw you written a book. I have. Was this the first book you have written? It was, and quite possibly the last. Oh, yeah. No, it's not, not, not <laughs> that bad. It was way more work than I anticipated, to be honest, but mm-hmm. it was all fun to, to do. And I learned a lot doing it as well. Yeah, it's the web development with Blazor and .NET, right? That's the, that's the book you made. Yeah, uh, so the, the title has actually changed. It's called Web oh. Development with Blazor now. Ah, okay. We so we just finalized that a couple of minutes before the show, so. Oh, really? That's why Amazon still had this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Okay, cool. But yeah, I can imagine that eats up your time uh, writing something yeah. like that with a new technology. You can also get someone else's book to uh, see how it actually works. Yeah, and, and you know, it, I mean, yeah. you write uh, blog posts too, Oscar, and and. At least when I write them, I think I read them twenty times more than I than I do uh, writing. Sometimes takes me yeah. an hour to write a tweet. Like, come on! <laughs> <laughs> so I can imagine with the book something that's going to be also physically available in people's hands. You you yeah. are going to double, triple, quadruple check everything, right? Yeah, there's no pushing I, out quick update. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I really thought I did check, double check, triple check. But I had a couple of amazing tech reviewers that helped mm-hmm. out, and they found a lot of things that I have missed. So together with with the tech reviewers and together with the people at Pact, I hope we got got all of those uh, problems out of the way. But I'm I'm sure there are some things that that is still in there. To be honest. Well, for people who are listening and who are interested, we will uh, add a link to the book Definitely. in the yeah. description. So I'm I'm taking a little bit of a different approach with with the the book mm-hmm. because um, I believe that most people uh, when when they're talking about Blazor, they go down the rabbit hole with WebAssembly directly. They talk about WebAssembly, and uh, yeah, and there's a server version as well. So I go the other way around. I'm talking about the Blazor server version front and center. And then I talk about WebAssembly. And I do that because I believe that most people like us, uh, like we at like us at work, we already have a site. We have a site that is running, that is in production, and we want to add Blazor to that. And then WebAssembly is not going to be an option. Then we're going to use Blazor server to mix those two. Then later on, we might go up to WebAssembly, but that's that's an, an, a decision that we can make later on in that case. So I'm, I'm talking about both uh, all the way, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more focused on Blazor Server in the book. Yeah, I can also imagine as far as migrating existing application goes, especially when you're coming from a ASP.NET background, that 
moving into Blazor Server first and then moving over into Blazor, Blazor WebAssembly is probably a more uh, well-known path for you or an easier path for you to migrate to than just diving into WebAssembly straight away. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. Yeah, even though the, the, the program model is the same for WebAssembly and Server, there is a difference in, in executing, of course. And mm. uh, yeah, the, the SPA model from WebAssembly um, yeah, makes you pull over a lot of data uh, over an API or something. Mm. while the other one uh, you can just trust. But lifetimes, for instance, of objects and, and database connections are a bit different in those models. Yeah. And um, thinking about um, the, the, the biggest difference between WebAssembly and, and Blazor Server is with Blazor Server, you can do entity framework calls directly to the database if you want to. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I had this discussion a couple of times. I know that people are, are, they want to use APIs even if they're using a server version, but you don't have to. So in our case, we had, a, we had entity framework calls directly to the database in, in basically our whole application. And when we went to web, to a Blazor, we decided to, hey, we need an API but we don't need that API to be a web API. So we have a, a um, an API surface, if you will, mm-hmm. and we're, we're using that surface to make calls. So we don't do entity framework directly, but our site has database access. So we don't use an, a web API. We, we, we thought we, we went back and forward a couple of times, and we thought that why should we, in an internal app, have the deserialization and the serialization of, of uh, JSON? That just takes ex- extra time. Yeah, especially if it's all server side, right? I mean, you're you're exactly. talking you're talking yeah. to the same or on the same level. So why go through the hassle of that one? But setting mm-hmm. it up in, uh, through an interface like that will um, help you potentially in the future, opening it up even in parallel as a uh, web API. Yes. Yeah. Um, or move to, uh, uh, yeah, move to uh, the assembly model at some point. Exactly. And to do a site where, where both are going to work, mm-hmm. you basically just need to think about, well, if, if, if we see a scenario that we are going to WebAssembly at some point, then do it with web API. Then you're going to get everything for free, basically. That's mm-hmm. just going to work when we, when just switching the hosting platform. And then, of course, you can, if you're all done, run it as a Azure Static Web App and have it be statically hosted there with a Functions API backend, and then we're all on the magical land of Azure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. There's always something new, right? Yeah, there is, there is. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jimmy, I'd like to thank you for this awesome um, talk we had. Is there anything that you would like to get back to or maybe add to that we discussed? Uh, No, I don't think so. Cool. Well, I had a lot of fun. I learned something new today, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, thank you very much for being our guest. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Better Talks, the podcast. We publish a new episode every two weeks. You can find us on all the major streaming platforms like Spotify and iTunes. See you next time. Bye.